Well, this morning, I'm going to be taking a look, and, and again, even the message is a little bit different today, so you need to bear with me. Is that okay? Can you give me a little grace as well? You can give some to, to Vili at the back there, and then you need to give me some, because I've got a slightly different message to what I would normally have. But today, what I want to speak about is surrender. We sang that song now, I Surrender. You remember singing it? Anyone? Okay. I Surrender All. And we sing that, and it's, it's such a beautiful song. And we can sing it with so much energy. But sometimes I think it's just easier to sing these songs than it is to do these songs. I don't know if you've ever found that about some of the songs you sing in church. And this is one of those songs that I think really applies to that. Surrender is a really, it's a big deal. It's a big concept. Let me, let's go into what surrender means. To cease resistance to an enemy or opponent and submit to their authority. Now, when we surrender to God, we don't have to cease resistance to an enemy or an opponent. We understand that. But what we have to do in a sense, and this is an interesting thing, we have to cease resistance often to ourselves. We have to cease resisting to the things that we want, to our selfishness, and submit to God's authority. That when we surrender, and, and some people say, why do you lift your hands in church? What's the point? What's with all the happy, clappy stuff? You know what? That's all we're doing. We're just saying, God, I surrender. It's just symbolic. It's a gesture. It's something that we do to say, I surrender. I don't want to give you just a part of my life. I want to give you my life and everything that that means. And God, I surrender. And you know what? Many of us have to sing that every week because guess what? Stuff comes back. It just does. Okay? We can surrender it to God, but very often during the week, something happens and it comes back to us, and we need to keep on surrendering these things to God. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at that to submit, to yield. Now, the interesting thing about surrender is there's two ways that surrender can happen. Surrender can happen when it's forced. There is such a thing as forced surrender. If you have been keeping an eye on the news, if you've been reading News 24, watching uh, any of these things, Sky News, and you would have kept an eye on, on, the, on the Paris attacks, where now 130 people have died, um, you would have seen the word surrender. Now it comes into play here, is that the families of the suspects are urging them to surrender to the authorities. Because the police have suspects who they think are guilty. They've got suspicions about them. But of course, if they go into hiding, what do you naturally think? They're guilty. So the families of those suspects are saying, just hand yourselves in. Just surrender right now to the police. And unfortunately, that isn't always the case. And so we had this brutal uh, thing happen now where, where the, the apartment was shot at and, and 5,000 rounds were, were shot into an apartment trying to get these guys out. And, and some of them lived and some never did. It's a very, I mean, it's a hectic story. But that's an, that's an example of forced surrender. Another example of forced surrender is, uh, and I read this a lot this week, just happened to be reading about Shaka Zulu. I mean, how ob. Um, I don't go out of my way to read random things like that, but I was reading about Shaka Zulu this week. And 
just an outstanding man in terms of his stature, his, you know, physically, his, he was quite a specimen in terms of his height and his build and his strength and all that sort of thing. But not just that, he had an incredible mind. Because when everyone else was thinking the same way, he wanted to do something different. So traditional Zulu battle would have looked like this. I'm over here, you're over there, we've got long spears, let's throw them. And if it hits you, that's fantastic, and if it hits me, that's not so fantastic. But you know what? You just move, hey? And so uh, these battles took extremely long, and they weren't very effective. So he said, what on earth are we doing? I'm developing something else. And he built his own little sword thing. It wasn't little. It was a long sword spear type thing. And he, he designed this thing so that he could go into close combat. It's fascinating because no one had thought to do that. They thought the further you stand, the better, the less chance you have of getting hit. But, of course, the less chance you have of hitting anyone else either. And so he said, no ways. I'm going in close. And he built a long spear, and he would go all the way up, and he he designed this left-hand hook. And he actually named the implement. It's disgusting. Are there children here? I I, I can't pronounce it. Okay? I'll, I'll embarrass someone who actually is Zulu here. Um... But the instrument was named after the sound it made when it went in and out of a person. Okay. So it was quite, quite a gross thing, but that's what he did. And this is what he designed. So he first of all designed this close combat with this, and then he designed this. It's a bullhorn style of fighting, totally different to anything that had been seen before here. And so there's the enemy in red there, and then you can see the horns and the chest of the bull and the loins of the bull was obviously the back ranks and the middle, and then you've got this. So, so you had these flanks that would come around enemies, and they obviously weren't used to that. They were standing waiting for spears to come from a distance, and these guys all attacked really fast, really close, and came from all sides. And so invariably, the enemies over there had to do one of two things. They had to fight until it was all over, or they had to. And most of them surrendered. But if you read up on the history of Shaka Zulu, that often wasn't enough for him to let them go. Um, So he left a mass slaughtering. There were over 2 million people that he killed in his wake. If you can believe that, I I mean, you can hardly believe it. But that's the kind of, he he actually was totally insane at the end. Um, I'm sorry if you uh, have a lot of respect for him, but he, he went nuts. Um, in, in his bloodlust and in what he wanted. And, uh, but this is the interesting thing. So you get these two kinds of surrender. I've only spoken about the one, forced surrender, where something happens and it forces you to surrender. Now, when you're forced to surrender, what does it make you look like? Weak. If you're in a position where you are forced to surrender, what you're saying is, I'm not as strong, I'm not as mighty, I'm not as powerful, I'm not as amazing. I'm weak, and I'm about to be defeated. I surrender. Please don't kill me. It's not a position of strength. And you have these politicians, and and we know some of them. Winston Churchill has a very famous speech, and and he speaks about this. We shall never surrender. It's a long speech. But why he's saying it, no, there's more than that to the speech. It really is a long speech. And uh, why he's saying that is because surrender looks like weakness. And what he's saying is we will not surrender. We will fight. And isn't it true that in today's society you fight for the right? You fight for your rights? You fight for things. You don't just let things go. 
I mean, even the fees must fall thing. You'll fight for everything that you're entitled to. You'll fight for everything that's your right. You'll go for it. You must never surrender, never back down. It's, got, it's all about strength and not about being a coward. So, there's another way. The other way that you can surrender, and this is the important way, Look, if you call yourself a man or a woman of God, this is an important thing to know because there's a difference here. You can be forced to your knees in circumstances, but when it comes to God, he doesn't operate that way. Sometimes it would be great if he did, hey, if he just said, amen, here's the situation, sort yourself out now. Yes, okay, and you did it. It doesn't work like that. God's an absolute gentleman. He doesn't go where he's not invited. And so... The other way that you can surrender is voluntarily. To voluntarily surrender, to hand yourself over, to, to submit yourself to another authority before it's forced on you. And here's the thing. Surrendering voluntarily shows completely the opposite character as when you are forced to surrender because that shows cowardice. Now, when you surrender voluntarily, it shows strength. That's the interesting thing. And people don't make that connection. But William Booth, the, the, the pioneer of the Salvation Army, him and his wife, said this, the, greatest of a man's, the greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his surrender. Now, we know who he was talking about. He was saying the greatness of a man's power depends on how much he can surrender to God. And do you know that it's possible to surrender bits and pieces of yourself to God? Even if you've been walking with God for years and years and years and years, do you know that it's possible to keep things back from Him? To give Him some of you, but not all of you. It's possible not to surrender your whole life to God. Now... We have this phrase we use, Jesus is Lord and Savior. Everyone heard that phrase? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? You know, it's like it's kind of just said. But those are two very distinct things. Jesus is your Savior. Well, that's quite a quick thing. That's something that happens in a moment. That's something that happens often in a meeting like this, sometimes at home when you're by yourself, sometimes when you're talking with a friend, uh, sometimes you just, you know, you just feel... Something's not right in my life. Something's missing. I need something more. I've heard about this God thing, this Jesus thing. I want that in my life. And you make a decision and you say, God, I know you've got your hand reaching out for me. I want to take your hand. And he takes it. And in that instant, you are saved. You are born again. That's the terminology that the Bible would use. You are saved. Now, anyone who saves you is your savior. So Jesus being your savior, well, that's a really, really quick thing. It just happens. But here's the thing. Jesus as your Lord takes a lifetime. Because Jesus as your Lord speaks about submission to an authority. It speaks about handing every part of your life to Jesus. And that's not always an easy thing to do. So people say, well, I put up my hand. I accepted Jesus as my savior. Well, that's great. But there's more to it than that. Your life could be more, it could be richer. It could be more fulfilling. It could be more incredible. 
it could actually go in the direction God wants it to go if you just follow up your decision to make Jesus the Lord, the Savior of your life and make him the Lord of your life as well. But it takes steady progress. It's an important thing. And it's a difference which I think is worth thinking about. See, the biggest decision that you can make in your life, literally the biggest decision you can make while you are on this planet for 80 or 90 years, is not who you're going to marry. The biggest decision you can make is not what car you're going to drive. The biggest decision you can make is not what am I going to study so that I'm set up for the future. The biggest decision you're going to make on this planet is who is going to be your savior. That's it. That is the biggest, the single biggest decision. And it's a decision we all have to make. But the second biggest decision that you make is are you prepared to allow Jesus to be Lord in your life? And that decision takes a lot of work, takes a lot of effort. Who will you allow to lead you as you plan your future? The second decision determines the course that your life takes. Because here's the reality. It's possible to have Jesus as your Savior and to never make him the Lord of your life. Do you know that? It's a sad reality, but it's true. And many of us know people, and they would say that they're Christian. But when you look at their lives, you go, this and this, don't, they don't seem to add up. Well, those are people who have never taken that second decision and said, God, be Lord of my life. In every area of my life, I want you to be Lord. I want to do what you want me to do in those areas. If you decide to run your own life and call all the shots... Your life is going to take a completely different course compared to the one it would take if you would surrender or turn your entire life over for God to handle. So like I said, accepting Jesus as your Savior, Savior only takes one precious moment, but making Him your Lord takes a lifetime. I want to read a verse here, a couple of verses that Jesus said. He said this. It's in Luke 9 verse 23. Then Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must do two things. Turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang onto your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? I was at the memorial service for Nancy Charton yesterday. <clears throat> and at funerals, I'm always reminded of something. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm always reminded how quick life is. Now, her life wasn't quick by human standards. She was 95. Um, but even so, at the same time, there was a funeral happening in George of a 21, a 20, and a 22-year-old boys that were in a car accident. Life is so short. Even 95 years may sound like a long time. It's not long. It's a blink of an eye. It's a breath. It's quick. But people want to hang on 
to do their own thing in the departments of their life. I don't want God to deal with this thing in my life. I want to hold on to it. But you're looking at your life, 95 years versus eternity, and you say, I want this thing for these years. I'm going to hang on to this thing. I'm not going to surrender this thing to God. I want to hang on to it. But life is fleeting. And God has a purpose and a destiny for us that goes, that, that infiltrates every sphere of our 80 or 90 years on this planet. So the difficult thing about surrender is this. It's counterintuitive. It's not normal. Surrender is weakness. And so to do it is not, is not something that people want to do. It's not the first or the easiest option. Especially, like I said, because the world tells us that it means you're weak and you can't handle things. But here's the, the fact of the matter. Is if you want to follow Christ, sooner or later you need to get to a point where you can admit that you actually are weak. That I'm weak. That I can't handle things. That I can't sort everything out in my life all at once. I can't make it all better. I can't fix it all. I am weak. And so that's why this you see this internal surrender is so different to what the world says about surrender to me i just this is such a great picture they show you this at beaches you know if you if you raise near the beach you see these kind of signs around and uh, they tell you in a riptide there's probably about 30 people who drown each festive season around our country from riptides and uh, the reason is because people swim against it towards the shore So they feel themselves being swept out and they don't know what to do. So they fight to get back to shore, but the current's always too strong. And so they fight for 10 minutes until they've got no energy. And then the current takes them out. And then they want to swim back in, but they can't. There's there's nothing left to swim with. And they drown, which is horrific. But that's what happens. And so what they say is you actually need to go with the current. I know that sounds, I mean, like if you were in that sort of situation and there was sand everywhere and water everywhere, I mean, it's an easier thing to say than to do. But if that is the situation, and maybe I'll save your life just saying this now in your festive season, okay, pay attention now. If you're going to swim in the beach, pay attention. If there is a riptide, they say, let it take you out. Because it's not going to take you out into the distancy. It's going to take you out just beyond the breakers. And there will be a couple of places where you can hopefully save your energy and come back into shore. But the thing is, and the reason why I show you this is because I see surrender like this as well. I see that people just want to fight against what God's saying. And God's saying, you need to sort this out in your life. There's this thing, you and me, we're okay, but there's this thing that's over here, this relationship or this attitude or this way of thinking that just isn't okay. And and you fight against it the whole time. And what I'm saying is allow God's spirit to lead you, to almost float you out so that you can come back in safer and stronger. Does that make sense? It's so important because it's counterintuitive, this thing of surrender. It's not the normal or the natural response. Just like allowing a tide to take you out. That is not a natural thing to do. But that's what you need to do if you're going to survive. And when God speaks to us, and this is the beautiful thing about God, He's so gentle, but He's really specific. And so when there's stuff in your life that he's addressing, that's when you go and you say, okay, this is what you want to deal with. This is what I'll deal with. And then you come back and you are stronger for having dealt with it. So this now is why I said this is a bit of a different service because now I'm going to get extremely practical. My aim is not 
to make anyone awkward or embarrassed. That is not the point at all. Um, But, you know, for me, a message is pointless unless there's an opportunity to do something, to respond, to make it yours, to stand on it in some way. Otherwise, it's just information. My feeling is this. Many of us have got things. We've got compartments. I don't know if you're like me. I compartmentalize my life, and I've got my home life and my kids and my wife and my work and my sport and my da-da-da. That's just the way that I work. And there'll be compartments of my life which which are going great. And there'll be compartments that I'll just hope no one ever asks me about. Please, Lord, if someone says, hey, can we do coffee? And I, and, and I don't know, and I'm like, well, what have I done? What is it? Did they know anything? Is there anything that I should have done? You know, that sort of thing. And you just, you, uh, uh, I'm not sure. But there's compartments. Many of us have them. And they're things you just really don't want other people to see. But you need God to see them. That's what I'm saying to you this morning. This isn't about exposing dirty laundry or anything like that. But if you want to move forward with God, if you want to have a mature, solid, right relationship with God, we need to say, Lord, Jesus, you're not, you're not just my Savior. You're my Lord. What do you want from me? Let's deal with it. Because if you don't, how many of you know that when you're in your, a natural relationship, a marriage or a mom and a dad or whatever it might be, or not a mom and a dad, a child and a, and a parent, If there's something there that's not right, the whole relationship isn't lacquer. You can't talk well. You couldn't pray well. Like the greetings become a little more cold. You know, if there's something there that isn't dealt with, the whole relationship starts to sour. And it's like that with God. You know, God, I'll give you everything, but Lord, just not this thing. I can't stop doing this thing. Let's talk about those things. That's not okay. We need to be people who can say, God, show me this stuff and let's work on it. And I believe it's possible and I thank God that he is gentle. He works with us in amazing ways. And so, you know, the point of what I'm saying is not at all to condemn you. If you're feeling condemned, it isn't me. I don't mean to condemn you. You know, the Holy Spirit is gentle and he convicts and there's a big difference. If you're feeling guilty and less than, and that's probably condemnation. If you're feeling like, man, I'm not happy about this thing. I want to sort it out. That's different. That's conviction. And you know what? The devil is vague. Remember this. The devil is vague. He'll just say, you're not good. You're not good. What's not good about me? No, you, you're not good. Things aren't good with you. You're not lacquer. But God's spirit will say, there's this thing, this exact thing. Let's work on this right now. And you can do that. And so what I'm saying is don't go fishing for weird stuff in your life that you're not sure about. If there's something there, and I'm sure even while I've been speaking, God might have just been speaking to you, dropping something in your spirit and just saying, hey, here's a thing. Let's deal with this. Well, that's, that's exactly what we're looking for. Um, what kind of things? I'm going to close with this. We sang about this, your plans and your dreams. This maybe is especially true for people who are in school right now, but I don't think exclusively. See, I think you can be 40 or 50 years old and you can say, God, is there something you want me to be doing? And sometimes there will be. There will be something that you can step into that you haven't yet stepped into, that you've put off for the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and you can now step into. We've got to surrender our plans and our dreams. I really had to learn this lesson when I was newly saved. And I didn't know what to study. I took a year off after school, and I was waitering like a pro and um, 
and then I needed to make a decision because my parents were like, one year, now you've got to study. So I had to make a choice. I had a couple of options. And I remember sitting in the car with Sarah, and we were talking through, and I was saying, these are my options. I don't know which one to do. I'm not quite sure. Oh, you know, what if I do this and it's the wrong thing and we wasted money and blah, blah, blah. And she said this amazing question. She said, well, have you prayed about it? I said, no. I'm busy making plans. I don't I need to pray about it. Like, you know, and and it's, it hit me so clearly. I thought, hmm, I actually haven't prayed about this. I've never taken my plans for my future and said, God, do you want a hand in this? Or do you just want me to make up my mind here? Um, and you know what? I really believe God led me in that circumstance to, to go into the line that I went into, which was all sorts of things, psychology and theology and teaching and stuff like that. And um, I believe it was a helpful thing. I'm not sure that I would have made that decision had I not surrendered that thing to God. And maybe you need to do that as well. Your plans and your dreams. Fears. Maybe you need to surrender fears. Fears of failing, of not being accepted by people. Fears of not being good enough for the job you've been, you've been set out to do. Fear that you'll never find a job. Fear that you'll never find a partner to share your life with. Those are fears that you can submit. You can surrender those things to God and say, God, I know that you know what's best for me. I don't need to stress about this. I don't need to worry about it. God, you take it. I want to leave it at your feet. False teaching. I listen to a lot of messages from around the world, and that's really easy to do because the Internet makes the world a tiny place. And so on a Monday, I can listen to all of the biggest churches across the planet. I can listen to the messages they heard, and I love to do that. And there's a massive wave of grace teaching that's going through things right now uh, where people are teaching about grace, and it's amazing ministry and teaching. But there's a side of that that there's, there's the other side, and people are still teaching about works. And they're teaching about how you need to be good enough, how you almost need to jump through hoops, how you need to attend this, you need to pay this, you need to do these things. Um, and if you do those things, you, you know, God will favor you, God will bless you. And there's a big sort of works thing. That stuff's false teaching. You cannot earn God's favor. You cannot earn God's mercy. You cannot earn God's grace. You cannot earn God's blessing. So don't get caught up in those, that sort of nonsense. There's a, there's a thing going around now even um, about how sickness, if you're sick, how it's related to sin in your life. You know, that stuff's destructive. This is how it works for the record. Sickness, death, decay, all those negative things were introduced at the fall of man at the beginning. That's it. There's nothing to suggest. So, so in one way, the theology is correct. Your sickness and all those things, they do stem from original sin. But there's nothing to suggest that it stems from sin that is in your life right now. You can't look at someone and say, ooh, you got cancer. Mm. Let's, let's dig into what you're doing. What are you up to? What are you into? That's, that's false stuff. But let me tell you something. People get caught up on that nonsense. If you hear that stuff, you just tell them. I need to think of a polite way of saying it. A foot. You just got to tell them. Because that stuff's nonsense. The, the gospel, the Bible, the message of hope in Christ is a simple one. If someone tries to complicate it or come with some special new revelation, 
Gooi het. It's rubbish. We don't take that stuff. It's a simple message for simple people. It's the way it was designed. It's meant to be accessible to absolutely everyone. So if it's only accessible to theologians or people who can get revelations 2,000 years later on words that were spoken, you know what? You need a second guess motives there. The gospel is simple, clear, and pure. And that's it. We don't go into any of the other nonsense. What about finances? For us, we've had to do this. We've had to surrender our finances to God because sometimes there's been more month than there has been money. And you just... Well, we, we know that God is our provider. In our heads, we know God's our provider. In our heads, we know that we should be contributing to a local church in order to strengthen what God is doing here in this community. We know that. It talks about sowing and reaping. It talks about test me in this, in your giving. So we know these things, but sometimes when there's nothing in the bank account, well, it's not easy. And you've got to say, and we've had to say, we surrender this thing. We're going to pay God, you know, pay God as if he needs money, but you know what I'm saying. We're going to give God the first because we know that at the end of the month there isn't going to be anything left. So we're going to give him the first and surrender that to God and trust him for the, for the rest. I can honestly say that in our whole marriage, which is 13 or 14 years, that has been what? Which one? I don't know. Uh, 13. Lucky number 13. We've, we've just seen God come through over and over and over and over and over again in that situation. Every time we've said, we want to honor you with our finances. We don't want to hold it because we need it right now. We want to honor you with our finances. We have never been let down. Not once. And we've been in desperate situations. But we've had to surrender that. And it might be the same for you. You might be sitting there saying, oh, you know, why is the church always asking for money? And you know, I don't have money for this and money for that. It's not about us asking for money. It's about God doing something in your heart. And um, some of you need to just surrender that and say, there's this story with my finances. Relationships. Some people need to surrender relationships. Some people need to surrender what, to what God says. The second part of that verse, or, or, or not that verse, that definition, to submit to someone else's authority. If you call yourself a Christian, you've got to submit to the authority of Christ. And that comes through in the Word of God. That's the bottom line. We can't skirt around that and say, yeah, but maybe in this day and age things are different. Some of you need to bring your relationships to God and surrender them and say, I want to live like your Word says I should live. And for some of you, that means some drastic steps. Because let me be absolutely blunt and clear. It is not... It's absolutely okay for you to be living and sleeping with your partner who's not your wife if you're not a Christian. Because your standard is different. You've got a different authority. If you are a Christian, your authority is the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about being with your partner who's not, your, who's not married to you? It's not black. I mean, it's not, it's not gray. I, sometimes I wish it was. It'd be easier to preach and just say it's gray. It's not. That's what the Word of God says about it. So some, of, some people need to just take their relationships and just surrender those things and say, God, I want to submit this to your authority. It's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult, but that's what I want to do. I want to live my life submitted to your authority. That's important. Some people who are married and messing around with someone that isn't your partner. The Bible has a very clear standard 
on adultery. And it's not always sleeping with a partner. See, Jesus rose the standard. If you even look at a woman lustfully, now flip, that's probably every single guy in this building. Let's be honest. It just is. But we try not to. Hey, that's the thing. We submit those things to God. We cut them off. We keep going. We can't live in the guilt of those things. But the bottom line is, maybe that's the way that men are built. But who knows? But here's the thing we do. We don't accept that as okay. We say, if this is the story, uh, and it is difficult, I've got to take up my cross. How often? Daily. Man, I wish I could just surrender this thing to God and let it be. It doesn't work like that. We surrender it daily to God. God, again, here I am. I want to surrender this thing. I want to surrender my thought life. I want to surrender the way that I'm thinking. So there's people out there, and you're married, but you're messing around. That's not okay. It's not okay if your authority and your standard is the word of God. If it's not, it's okay. Is this harsh? feels harsh. I don't mean to be harsh. Um, I don't think this stuff gets said enough. There are times in my life where I wish I heard this stuff, and I didn't. Because this is the kind of thing people just want to say, no, no, it's probably just me. No one else is dealing with this stuff. I'll sort it out on my own in the quietness of my own space. And when I've sorted it out, then I'll come. It doesn't help. What I'm saying is God wants your whole life. Surrender it wholly to him. Because addiction is another one of those things. I've got a brand new casino in town. So I'm sure we're going to have a couple of, of uh, addictions coming from that. That stuff's not healthy. It's not healthy. Pornography. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for anyone. It's not just... Not just unhealthy for, for married people. It's unhealthy for unmarried people. It's unhealthy for single people. It's unha- unhealthy for 13-year-olds. Because guess what it does? It sets your wife up for failure. It does. Because let's be honest, no one can live up to stuff that's photoshopped and, and whatever. And so she's never going to be able to. And it's the same the other way around. He's never going to be able to live up to the stuff. And so it it's destroys your marriage before your marriage even starts. And if you're in a marriage, it decays your marriage unless it's out there, surrendered, and being dealt with. And that is possible. But I can't believe it, eh? I mean, I'm, and I can believe it, how accessible this stuff is. It used to be in my day, you know, back in my day when I was younger. <laughs> you used to have to scratch through bins and find... Old man's magazines. I'm not trying to say the words because there's kids here. But, but you, you, you know, it, it used to be hard to come by. You, you had to really, like, search for it. You know what I mean? You had to, like, get an older person to go into a shop and buy you something. Apparently. <laughs> Nowadays, two clicks. Done. Sorted. And it's just devastating to relationships. Okay. Can I move on? Let's, let's deal with this. The time now is a good time. Don't look. Don't look at your watches. I want to do something now. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I apologize if you knew. Again, this isn't to make you feel uncomfortable, but I trust that God can minister to you this morning as well. I really do trust that. I want to play a song now. This song is a song about surrender. So it's obviously in line with what I've been saying this morning. But what I, 
don't see today's message as a message of information. Don't go there and say, oh, he mentioned pornography in his thing. Like he, oh. that, that's not the point. I'm not trying to get anyone's attention by the words I use. Here's the reality. God can meet you in your space right now and he can deal with the compartments of your life that you've kept hidden from him. He can do that. And what I like about being in a Pentecostal church like this is that we can take a few minutes to allow God's spirit to speak to us personally, which you may not get at a more traditional church. I'm not dissing a traditional church. That's just the way that the liturgy is. That's the way the order of service goes. It doesn't allow for this, but in our structure, we can allow for this. And we believe God deals directly with people. He doesn't have to work through me to get to you. He can just work straight with you. And that's awesome. That frees me up quite a lot. So we're going to trust that he does that. So we're going to play this song. And again, it's not about condemnation, not about feeling guilty. But if there's stuff in your life and you just want God to help you, the song is probably four and a half minutes long. So if you can deal with that, then that's what we're going to do. We're just going to go through that. And you're just going to say, God, is there something? There's nothing? Perfect. Let me worship you. Or God, there is something. Show me what it is and tell me how to deal with this thing. Does that make sense? Cool. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to just play the song. Thanks, Billy. Oh, do I have to do it? Or do you?